Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Well, go ahead and open to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is found in the Old Testament, right sandwiched between Judges and 1 Samuel. It's, 300, it's page 315 in my Bible, but I don't think that will work for yours. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and find Ruth with me. If you need a copy of God's Word, we have some in the back. I'm sure if you lift your hand, I'm sure Travis or Elijah or somebody will go get a cold in. They'll get it for you. Anybody need a Bible? Follow along with us. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. And this week, we're going to be talking about death. You're like, oh, yes, great, awesome Sunday to come, right? Um, The truth is uh, we don't give death the attention that it deserves uh, really as a body of believers until it kind of hits us right in the face. And it hits us unexpectedly. You know, we've had death with loved ones even in our church family within the past couple of weeks, you know, and uh, people that we know and love. And so it's, it's a reality for all of us. Here's the thing. I hate to break it to you, and I hope hopefully this isn't uh, coming from a lack of compassion or this won't catch you off guard. But here's the truth. More than likely, you're going to die. You're going to die. Like, uh, I hate to break it to you. It's going to happen one day. <laughs> Spoiler alert, unless you're like... Uh, yeah, Elijah or Enoch or somebody, and you get taken off, you're, you're going you're gonna to die. And so here's the truth. We all have to know how, how do we respond to death. And then also, how does God use it? How does God use it to show us his goodness? And how does God use it to, to point us towards him? And the book of Ruth is an incredible, incredible book. And as you saw in that uh, sermon bumper that we had, It deals with so many important life issues, whether it be death, hope, love, redemption. This is really the arc that we see happen in a lot of even media that we watch nowadays. Y'all know Ed tells you every movie that he's uh, he's working on, right? Y'all know like every movie that Ed or TV show that Ed works on, more than likely it's going to have these recurring themes of of challenge and trial and response to that trial. Y'all know when you're watching a movie how like if it's like all right, I'll give one to the ladies. Y'all know like the romance comedies or dramas or whatever. What always happens? Well, they get together, right? They get together, then something happens, right? Something happens and they go their separate ways. They get angry at each other, right? Something happens and then they come back together. And you're like, well, every movie is not that way. Well, you don't typically rewatch the movies that aren't that way, right? Every good story has an arc. And what we see is that it's not uncommon. God's word shows us how we can deal with loss. And here's our big idea. I'm open up with our big idea today because the scripture that we read is going to unpack this together. Here's the big idea. Trust the Lord always, even in death. If you're taking notes, write that down. Trust the Lord always, even in death. You've heard the, the verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We trust in the Lord always, even when things don't go our way. 
We trust in the Lord always, even in death. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to read the first five verses together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem of Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These, these, took, two, these took Moab wives. The name was Or Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the women was left without her two sons and her husband. So the author of this book, which more than likely a lot of, a lot of Bible uh, historians believe that Samuel, you know, the prophet Samuel wrote the book of Ruth. Uh, there's, you know, some debate on that. Maybe some people think maybe Nathan wrote it as well, but more than likely it was Samuel. And Samuel's writing this story, recounting the story in Ruth. And what he, what he does in the first verse is very interesting. There's a lot of characters and if you didn't know these characters, their names have meaning, and we'll get to those meanings here in a moment. But what he does in verse 1 is I believe he, he invites us into the story. Did you notice we don't get Ruth or, or Naomi or Elimelech or Malon or Chilion we, or, or Orpah? We don't get any of their names in verse 1 because he's inviting us into the time frame and the story of what's happening. What we see here is that this happened in the time of the judges. There's a reason why in your Bible, Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. Even some old, we've been talking about canon of scripture in our small groups. How do we get the Bible? Even some old, Old Testament canons actually included the book of Ruth as an appendix on Judges. They were always two different writers, but they included Ruth with Judges because they go hand in hand and they go together. So this is happening in the time of the Judges, and if you haven't read the book of Judges, I encourage you, there's a lot of interesting stories in the book of Judges. You ever read the book of Judges? Anybody ever read it? Like, there's some crazy stories. Y'all know the one about the king who's so fat and he gets stabbed and they lose the knife and his fat? It's in the Bible. Read the Bible. The Bible's really, really cool. The story of Samson, all these other uh, incredible stories in the book of Judges. And what happened in the book of Judges is it was a time, and the, book, the time frame of the book of Ruth is happening during this time. It was a time when Israel was, out, was, was without kind of a, a lineage ruler. And what we see is that Joshua's death culminated in this time of judges until Saul's coronation as, as king. And what happens is there's this pattern that happens. There's this pattern of God giving his people rest. God gives his people rest and good things. And immediately when he gives them rest and good things, they repeat the pattern of Genesis 3, where all things are good, but God, God tells them all things are good, but what do they choose to do instead? They sin. 
So there's this pattern of rest, sin, and then oppression happens. It's either by famine or some other surrounding enemy trying to conquer Israel. Then they repent, and then God rises up another judge to deliver them. That's the pattern that we see in the book of Judges. And I believe this book of Ruth, as we open it up and we see in the time of Judges, there was a famine in the land. And then as we read along in these first five verses, we really understand first, first thing is this, loss is inevitable. Loss is inevitable. Loss is an inevitable part of life. It's kind of like I said at the opening of our message this morning. More than likely, you will die. And you will have loved ones in your life who will pass away as well. All you have to do is live long enough, and it's a reality. Loss is inevitable. And I love that the Bible doesn't, doesn't glance over this. It's not trying to tell us this fun story with the things that we don't want to hear. But it opens up and in this book, it shows us loss will happen. Famine had entered their land. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that famine could have been part of the covenant curses laid out in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Famine sometimes came because of the disobedience of God's people as a form of punishment. Famine came from a lack of rain. Famine also came from the from surrounding enemies who would siege the lands. Famine more than likely was a form of punishment for Israel's disobedience. Chapter 1 begins uh, and, by saying, and a man of Bethlehem. Have, you, have Anybody ever heard of Bethlehem before? Well, here at Bethlehem around Christmas time, right? Bethlehem's an important town. Bethlehem is where David is from. And it's important that Jesus is born in Bethlehem because all the prophecies said that he would come from the line of David. And spoiler alert, when we get to chapter 4, we see that Ruth gives birth to a, a child that leads to the lineage and the line of David. Ruth is a part of the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what this book is showing us is that God works even in death for our good and his glory. It was ironic that Bethlehem means house of bread. The, the town actually meant house of bread. It's funny that there was a famine, ironic that there's a famine in the house of bread. They were without. And they, instead of repenting, which is what kind of these old covenant uh, promises uh, and, 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 and warnings that God gave was repent, and that's kind of the pattern of the judges. You repent, and then God's going to deliver you. Instead of repenting, what does Elimelech do with his family? He flees. He flees, and they go to Moab. They didn't just go to any place. They went to the land of Israel's enemies, Moab. And while Moab wasn't... wasn't uh, listed among the, the nations that Israel shouldn't intermarry with, we do know that Moab was a land that was rooted in pagan sin and pagan worship. Their deity, their main deity, was a god named Kamosh. And Kamosh was, it meant destroyer or subduer. Kamosh was actually a, a fish god. Um, in New Orleans, we have some people that worship Kamosh, right? Fish. I'm joking with you. But, but Kamosh was this fish god because people in ancient times would find anything to worship. They're like, oh, a wall, let me worship it. 
oh, a microphone, let me worship the God of the microphones. Like, they would literally find anything and everything except for the one true God, Yahweh, to worship. And Kamosh was also associated with, and maybe you've heard of some of these older gods, Baal, Baal, or Moloch. And and Kamosh was this god that wasn't completely understood, but we know that he was the primary pagan deity of the Moabites and the Ammonites. And what we see is that being in a land or following those people was sort of synonymous with following that god. Back then, you know, here in the United States, it's different, right? We, we, uh, we're, we're Christians in, in our nation, right? But our nation is made up of people who aren't Christians, well, back then, that wasn't the case. It wasn't the case. And I'm not arguing for or against that. But what I'm saying is back then that that wasn't the case. If you were a part of Israel, you were, in fact, a worshiper of Yahweh. If you were in the land of Moab, you were acknowledging the deity of Kamosh. And it says that Elimelech, whose name, I'm going to get into some of the name meanings here, Elimelech's name means that God is king. My God is king. Elimelech's name meant my God is king. And in fact, his name expressed faith in the one who gave him that name. So by leaving the promised land, which was undergoing famine because of the sin of God's people, rather than repenting, he abandons faith even in his own name and leads his family into sin and away from God. This is why in Genesis chapter 3, anybody that argues the authority that God, the, the expe, let me put, not authority, let me say the expectation that God has on men, anybody that ever argues it, I say, well, what happens when, when Adam and Eve sin? Who sins first? Who sins first? Let's answer. Eve, right? But then Eve leads Adam into sin. Who does God go after first when he comes back to the garden? Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? And like the dummies they were, they're hiding behind trees, right? And they don't think that God who created the trees can see him behind the trees, right? You know, that's been the case from the beginning of time is the lack of men stepping up and leading like God created us to do. And that's the story of the book of Ruth. In fact, you'll see Naomi and Ruth go through quite a challenge. It doesn't mean that's all hope is lost because God gets them through that challenge, but they do so because Elimelech leads them from the land of promise to the land of death. And it says that his sons, which were Malion and Chilion, Malion's name meant to be sick. Don't ever name your kid Malion, right? To be sick, you know? Malion means to be sick. Uh, Chilion means to be finished completely, like mortally. Those were really bad names to give your kids. But also it highlights the point in the story that they go to this land, they take wives. In fact, they take pagan wives. That's what Ruth and Orpah are. They're pagan wives. They're not of the land of promise. They're not of God's people. And they take pagan wives. And what happens to Malion and Chilion? They, they die with the same, same fate as their dad, Elimelech. And these three women are left without hope. Because you see in that time to be 
to lose a husband was to lose your security, was to lose your life, was to lose, and, you know, even Pete right now says, you know, Becky, you lose me, I don't know what you're going to do, right? You know, like here's the, but even back then, Miss Becky wouldn't have had any hope because Pete was the way all the money came in. Pete was the authority. All the structure of the family was built around the man. And so what happens is Naomi and Orpah and Ruth are left destitute. Loss is inevitable. And it says that they had been there 10 years. And they were left without any heirs. Ruth and Orpah had not had any children. Naomi's two sons had died. Scripture tells us that barrenness was often a result of sin or lack of trust in God. They had been in Moab for 10 years. Do you all know that it was Sarai, Sarah in the Old Testament? Um, After 10 years is when she encouraged Abram, Abraham, to sleep and conceive Ishmael. She gave up hope after 10 years. This is all this is symbolic. This is a time of just lack of trust in God. What happens with Abraham, right? God fulfills the promise despite his, right? Sarah conceives. And so what we see here is, and actually going on, I'll give you a spoiler alert. You get to chapter four, verse 13. Ruth conceives despite her barrenness because that's what God does. He takes death and hopeless situations and he breathes life into it. Second is this. Loss is inevitable, but our second point is this, and we're going to read about it. Tragedy demands a response. You see, you're going to respond in some way when tragedy happens, and it's either going to be to run to God or to run away from God, to trust in God or to question God. Tragedy demands a response. Let's look at how both Ruth, Orpah, and Naomi respond to tragedy. Verse 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 18. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws, talk about Naomi, to return to the country, to, to return from the country of Moab, because she had heard in the fields of Moab, work in the fields, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The famine is over. It's time to go home. The light and electricity is on. It's time to come back from the hurricane, right? Like, we can relate to these things. Now is the time to go home. And so after 10 years, famine had ended. It was time to go home, verse 7. So she set out from that place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws. Get this, her two pagan daughter-in-laws. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi, and what you'll see here in Naomi is a mixture of firmness and tenderness. And we're going to get to that more here in a moment. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly. And in the book of Ruth, when you see kindness or kindly, it's a word, it's a, it's a Hebrew word called hesed. And if you don't know, hesed's a a word used throughout the Old Testament to deal with God's covenant love for his people. It's a word that can't really be defined by one English word, but it encompasses all of God's nature and all of his goodness towards his people. And so she's saying, may the Lord deal 
hesed with you, like she's blessing them, right? Hesed with you as you deal, as, as you have dealt with, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you might, might find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them. Do you see that there's firmness and then there's tenderness? Then she kissed them and they lift up their voices and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Naomi's a little stubborn too, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb? Naomi was likely, if you consider that Naomi was, uh, she had been 15 years of age when she was given in marriage, which was common back then, if you didn't know. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was probably a young teenager. That's how it worked back then. Um, If she was married at 15 years of age, and she had her sons by the age of 20, And those sons, which it was common for men to get married around the age of 20, so 20-year-olds, you need to hurry up. Um, It's a joke. Y'all should laugh, get awkward. It's great. So, and, And they, in turn, were 20 when they were married. And this event occurred 10 years later. I know that's a lot, but if you did the math, at her youngest, at her youngest, Naomi was in her 50s. And I don't know, you can't give birth to kids healthy, without in vitro fertilization and all that. You, you don't typically do that in your 50s, right? You're in the midst. Of, I'm getting the women to agree with me. I'm, I'm a man, right? You're going through menopause or have finished menopause by that time. And so Naomi is barren herself. She, she's not able to give uh, another, have, have birth to another son, to which then they would have to wait another 20 years and marry somebody that's 30 years younger than them. That'd be freaky, right? Even in those times, you know? And so Naomi's, you know, she's being firm, but she's also having compassion. She tells them, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? I don't have sons in my rooms that may become your husbands. Turn back, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old even to have a husband myself. If I should say, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Y'all get this? Naomi went from blessing them and praying for them with the kindness of God to complaining and saying, God has dealt bitterly with me. How quickly can we turn, right, with our emotions? Let's not just rail on Naomi and say she's just an old, bitter lady. But how can, how can we turn with our emotions? In one moment, we're praising and blessing God. And the very next moment, we're frustrated, we're cursing and questioning God. Are those not natural emotions? Tim lost a brother this last week, you know? You go through those emotions. There's stages of grief. You know, you have hope. Then you have times where you feel regret. Then you have times where you get angry. Those are all the natural stages of grief. And Naomi's going through the same. And in response to this verse verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. This is important. Don't lose fat. Don't lose sight on this last part of verse 14. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth 
clung to her. You see, when you're dating, you think back to the time when you were dating, maybe not married, maybe you are dating now. You can kiss whoever you want, right? But you cling to your spouse, right? You cling. This is covenantal. Orpah wasn't committed. In fact, if you're writing down the name meanings, Orpah's name meant neck. Who names their daughter Neck? You know, Orpah's name meant neck. A lot of Jewish tradition believed, in fact, they would teach that Orpah turned her neck back from Naomi. But Ruth, Ruth's name, Ruth had a little bit better of a name. Ruth's name meant friend. It meant to refresh, to irrigate, to soak. So Ruth, instead of turning her neck against her mother and turning back against her mother-in-law, she clung to her mother-in-law. Now get this, clinging to her mother-in-law as a pagan about to go into a foreign land meant that she was clinging also to Naomi's God. It meant that she was forsaking the pagan Kamosh and turning to the one true God, Yahweh. Verse 15, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi thinks she's stubborn. You know what? Ruth is a little bit more stubborn. Maybe you have a kid. I, I, one of my kids is really stubborn. He takes after his daddy. And, and hey, I'm stubborn. I'll admit it. God, you can use stubbornness for sin, or you can use stubbornness for good. You know, it's taken a little bit of stubbornness to get through the last couple of years. Some people would have hightailed and leave. I'm not bragging about myself because I've wanted to quit like 20 times, you know? But by the grace of God, he uses stubbornness to get us through and to keep us rooted and to keep us going. And so we see that in verse Ruth, verse 16. Do not urge me, she tells Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or return from following you. And then she says this, we prayed this earlier. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. You know what? Naomi, you don't got a choice. I'm going. You know, that's basically what she's saying. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And where I die, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so with me. She's invoking the name of Yahweh for the first time. May the Lord do so with me. And more also, if anything, put death the parts from parts me from you, in verse 18. And when Naomi saw how she was determined to go with her, she said no more. In fact, that word in the Hebrew for determined means strength, firmness, persistence, stubbornness. Ruth was determined to follow and help her mother-in-law. Ruth was determined to leave behind her pagan gods and commit her life to the one true God, Yahweh. Tragedy demands a response. When we respond to tragedy, we will either trust the name of the Lord or we will curse the name of the Lord. We will pray blessings of Hesed or God's love on other people or we will curse and we will claim that God has been bitter to us. 
and we will accuse God rather than repenting to God. Lastly is this. Let's read 19 through 22. So, trust in the Lord always, even in death. Loss is inevitable. Tragedy demands a response. Let's look at verses 19 through 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Y'all know, they couldn't get back in secretly, right? All the gossipers, all the ladies, everybody's out there like, Naomi, not only had she dealt with bitterness, bitterness had affected her look. Naomi, not only was it 10 years later, and Naomi was aged, but Naomi was aged and looked physically different. Have y'all ever seen, like, say, Barack Obama, I think was the most recent example. You ever look at the pictures of when he was elected and when he went out of office? Stress can do a lot to you. It's every president that we've ever had. Stress can do a lot to you. It gives you gray hairs. It changes your physical appearance. Like uh, they say, a lot of the weight gain, a lot of the different health issues, that we, a lot of them are stress. And we live in a time in our world with a lot of stress. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. And if you didn't know this, and you're writing down the name meetings, Naomi meant pleasant, pleasant. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Y'all see how her outlook had changed? From the name that she had been given, pleasant, she's now saying, I'm a bitter old hag, is kind of what she's saying. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? The last verse tells us, So Naomi returned with her pagan-born daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her. They returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem. And this, this gets it. This is the kicker. The chapter ends with a glimmer of hope. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Sets up chapter 2, which we'll get to next week, which deals with hope. Loss is inevitable. Tragedy demands a response. And this is what you need to hear today. I believe God has you here today to sovereignly hear this message. Remember, your story isn't over. Remember that. Your story isn't over. Just as Naomi gets back and she's like, I'm no longer pleasant, I'm bitter. What does the author tell us in hindsight? Maybe she didn't see it at the moment, but the author tells us in hindsight they got back at the beginning of the barley harvest. The barley harvest was used to, to, to extract and eventually led to the extraction of wheat. Wheat gives us bread. They had gone away, and Bethlehem, the house of bread, had undergone famine and lost everything. They come back, the fa- they actually they fled towards sin. Get that? They fled towards sin, trying to figure out things their own way. They fled towards sin, and they come back to a redeemed and restored house of bread that was yet ready to yield its harvest.
there's hope in every story. And if you woke up today and you had breath in your lungs, it means that your story isn't over. I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I don't know if you feel Mara right now. I don't know if you feel angry. But know this, God hasn't done with you. He's not done with you until you breathe your last breath. You've been given a gift. And that gift is to live life to its fullest and to live life for Jesus. So I'd like to encourage you, if you haven't joined the family, to join the family of God. I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about God's family. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, dealing with death, verse 26, he says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Y'all remember reading the book of Revelation? We went through a lot of, lot of dark judgment there for a little while, and that brings us all up to the point of God's finished work where death is thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Death and Hades are put to death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And this is why Paul goes on in verses 54 and 55 to say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've given us hope. That even in death we have hope. And we know that hope is rooted in love. That you so love the world that you gave your only son, Jesus that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. I thank you for the redemption that you brought by the blood of the Lamb. God, today we commit ourselves to you. God, if there's someone in here or listening today who doesn't know you, I pray that they would reach out, that they would call upon you, confess their sins, reach out and commit their lives to you and to reach out to others to tell them about the decision so we can become more like you. If there's someone in here today who needs to commit to being a part of your church family or needs to commit to what you've called them to do, help them to take that step of faith. Lord, and even when times don't look right, to not take that step towards the sin of Moab, but to stay rooted in the land of promise. Help us to walk in the way of Bethlehem. It's in your name we pray and commit. Amen.